Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? So glad to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I pray that you are blessed in the Lord, whatever you're doing, whatever is going on in your life. I pray that this time that we can just jump into the Bible will be a refreshing time for you. And also for many of you who from time to time find yourself having a difficult time hearing from God, or you're going through a particular relationship issue, or you have to make a tough decision, or you're alone, or something traumatic has happened in your life, or you're down and out, or you are depressed, you're struggling. I pray whatever your burdens are, my friends, that as you are listening to this uh, this podcast or you're watching it on our YouTube channel, that you know that God is right there with you, that he is not a God who abandons his children. He is a God who cares and loves you. And as we always reinforce here on the podcast and why it's named Stand Strong in the Word, that is what we're here to tell you once again is no matter the difficulty, no matter the struggles, no matter what we're going through, we can find comfort and power in God's word. Now, just to point out that that's not going to solve all of your problems. It's not saying that the Bible is not infallible. Of course, here on this podcast, we believe strongly in the infallibility of God's word. You know, I was trained by Dr. Norman Geiser for many, many years and had the privilege to write uh, with him and um, you know, he passed away over a year ago now as I'm recording this. But one thing he would tell me so simply was if God who is perfect inspired the word of God, then how many errors are in the Bible? And, you know, it's one of those just simple truths that God who cannot err will not make mistakes. And when he spoke his word into existence and he inspired these 40 different authors to write what we see today these 66 books that were written in a span of 1400 to 1600 years with three different languages and three different continents from peasants and farmers and kings and former slaves and former uh, blasphemers and pagan people who have been converted to the gospel message people who doubted and denied him and then they proclaim the truth of God's word. It just, it's, it's just amazing, my friends. And so as we do come together and we study his word, as we're studying the book of Acts together right now, that we are reminded that we need him. We need to feed on his faithfulness. And so I pray that that is uh, a blessing to you and that it encourages you. Because I know my day, there, there are days that I have that I'm struggling through things and trying to get my thoughts in order and the demands for the day and things that I need to get to. And life happens. People die. Friends of ours, family members commit suicide. Or you're having a conversation with someone and they dump on you. and They just tell you all these things that you're shocked to hear. And so I just want you to know, my friends, that as we look at the context of Scripture, as we look at the life in this case where we're at right now with Peter and Saul and Barnabas, that we don't neglect to be there for people, but we pray that we gain the strength needed. As the Bible says in Romans 15, verse 4, these things have been written for your comfort. 
And so as we go through Acts chapter 11, the title today is No One Can Stand in God's Way. And as we're reminded of this lesson, I pray this will reinforce in you, my friends, that you can find comfort in Scripture. So having said all that, we are now in Acts chapter 11. And so I encourage you guys, if you have a Bible, to jump to Acts chapter 11. If you're watching or listening to this, if you have a Bible available, uh, jump right into it. But if you're looking at the video, uh, I'm going to be showing you guys the the, the verses uh, so you'll be able to have that here on the screen shortly. But let me just give you kind of a rundown so we can understand just a little bit about uh, where we left off last time. Now, remember, the charter that was given to Peter in scriptures was to reach the Gentiles with the gospel in Caesarea. Now, this was this was a significant turn of events because, as we saw in last podcast in Acts chapter 10, God reveals these things to um, to, to Peter and and it blew his mind because if God is saying, listen, what I've made clean is now clean and you are to partake of it, you're taking a Jew out of his customs, out of the social structures. Now, of course, they were given by God for his people, but now through the gospel message, through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, this has opened up a whole new thing. And who better though, if you think about it, than Peter to deliver this message? So upon Peter's return, now where we pick things up in Acts chapter 11, after leading Cornelius and his household to faith, uh, it has reached the ears of other Jews and they're outraged by Peter. And so he is now going to have to offer an explanation that God, not man, has offered salvation to the Gentiles. And of course, this is something Paul will later uh, tackle in many of his letters, particularly when you look at Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 14 and following, really, if you jump back to chapter 9. So the outreach to the Gentiles, they're, they're going to pick up with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. So we're almost at the tail end now, based on Luke's account of this transition, as you know that the gospel spreading from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But it's also going to be transitioning from Peter to Paul and seeing a greater impact that was going to reach the Gentiles. And so again, if you're not a Jewish individual, uh, even again, I'm specifying to those who are Messianic Jew, if you're not a Messianic Jew, you this, this should really impact you because this is where the roots of the gospel start spreading to people outside of Jerusalem in the known synagogues of Jewish people and starts reaching Gentiles and we are crafted in and God's going to use the Jews to deliver this message. So let's jump right into the first part here in Acts chapter 11, where Peter defends his actions to the Jews. And we'll read verses one through 18. It says here now, the apostles and the brothers, that's believers who are united in Christ, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's not member of the whole church, they criticized, meaning they contended to disprove, to doubt him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he's putting forth additional information. So they heard some of what occurred. And so now Peter in verse four is going to be giving them additional information that they have yet to hear. So he proceeds to say in verse five, I was in the city of Joppa 
praying. And in a trance, remember last podcast, I talked about that being in a static psychological state to be put out of one's normal state of mind. I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely. I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn, all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at this very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, who were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Right now, if you have been following along, uh, that account that Peter broke down, I gave in greater detail, obviously, when it happened in Acts chapter 10. But let me just give you a couple highlights here. Notice that the good news of the gospel was reaching the Gentiles through Peter. And remember, he had mixed feelings in the beginning. So could you imagine how these other Jews rightly, remember I said that when these apostles and the brothers, these are, these are believers who are united in Christ, and when he went to Jerusalem, there was a circumcised party there. That's not the whole church. So we're not, we don't know how many people were there, who exactly was there. But we see this contention that's breaking out among people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Remember, this is very early. We're marking this incident to be in the early uh, 40s, okay? So this is just not even 10 years, probably, less than 10 years uh, probably since the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they're still struggling through these. And so after Peter partook in this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Caesarea, he returns to these Jewish Christians and he's dismayed over the fact that, you know, they're one struggling to understand this stuff, but at the same time, he's concerned because they're concerned. And so, yes, Peter, in one sense, God had to speak to him about Hey, I want you to reach the Gentiles. You think they're unclean, but I'm going to use you to reach these people because now through you, you're going to go back to your people and you're going to address uh, the situation that why you invited these Gentiles into your home. Uh, the next day you traveled to Cornelius's home, you were invited in and you're now sharing then the gospel that Jesus spoke to us as Jews specifically and privately, if you will. I mean, so you could see there's some turmoil there. There's some unanswered questions that they're wanting Peter to respond to. 
So this word that Luke uses, criticized, to disprove, to doubt, they're even questioning his motives. Not just, hey, can you just explain to us what this trip was all about? You know, because you know, we, we really like for you to fill in the gaps. This is way more than that. They are calling the apostle Peter into question. Now, remember, Jesus was accused by the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, where it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man received sinners and eats with them. So remember, if Jesus had to deal with that, with the Jews, and you have these Jewish Christians who are of the circumcision, and he's hanging out with uncircumcised men. These are Gentiles who violated the laws of clean and unclean food and a gamut of other things. So, Peter, what say you? Because you are in complete and total violation. Now, when in verse 4, when it says that Peter began to explain, as I said earlier, he's giving them additional information. So the wording implies that Peter's explanation was first a, a first witness report. Uh, to this circumcised Jew audience. And it carries the idea here from the word they're they criticizing him to here in verse four that he was explaining to them that it was an intense debate between them. So you can imagine if you've been in these situations before with a group of people, not just with one person, if you have two opposing ideas, I mean, it could go back and forth and people interrupt you and they're calling you names and they're getting pretty heated. You think, well, Jay, I thought you said these people are Christian. Well, yes, but you got to understand the mindset, the, the Eastern mindset, okay? We, we tend to forget uh, that here in the West. So Luke goes back in here in, in chapter 11 to repeat the account of Cornelius. And I, and I like the fact that he does this going back to chapter 10, verses 9 and 6, and here chapter 11, verses 5 through 17 because he has to stress the significance of God removing personal prejudices between the Jews and the Gentiles, because this is at the core of the conversation. Because in essence, Peter, what other gospel are you preaching? You, you're taking it now to an audience of unclean people. And remember, they believed in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe that they have eternal life. They believe that they have been given the authority, as Jesus said, the Mount of Olives, to go in his authority to make disciples. But who are the disciples? Who exactly would be the people that these circumcised Jews would reach? Well, for the most part, many of them believe just going into the synagogue and trying to convert their family and people in their community. And yet, here we have Peter who goes beyond the scope of what they thought, and he is baptizing an entire Gentile family. And remember, not just anybody, but a man who has authority as a centurion. So here we, we see he articulates, that is Peter, he articulates his personal vision from God verses 5 through 10. And then what he does is he reports on the precise time when these men arrived from Cornelius' houses for, to his house right when he was praying in verses 11 through 14. 
And then he presents six men to confirm uh, his version of the facts in 12 through 15. And then what he does in this presentation of recounting these things and filling in the gaps and defending himself as to why he did what he did because he got this vision from God. And then he reminds them in verses 15 through 17, remember Pentecost? You remember how the Holy Spirit fell on us as Jews? Well, that's what happened in this situation in Caesarea. And so when he says, I was on my way, uh, you know, in, in the city, and when, or excuse me, when he was there in the city, that he had this vision and God shows him these things. He's saying, God, you guys, he revealed to me these things. And he, what, he, what he did was he showed, the way he explained to break down these walls of prejudice, prejudice between Jews and Gentiles was through dietary restrictions. And what Jesus is now showing me is that we are to walk in this new covenant, you guys, and it's going to be radically different than what we ever expected it to be. And Peter emphasizes in verses 7 through 10, the call to accept and partake in God's purification. Now it's just a matter of whether or not the the circumcised Jews are going to not only believe Peter, but also uh, recognize that six eyewitnesses can confirm of this account. And so he, you know, through the angel, you know, this angel tells Cornelius about Peter and God tells Peter about Cornelius and Peter obeys and he goes to preach the gospel. And what happens? Someone gets saved. Now, this manifestation of the Spirit in Caesarea, which is the Holy Spirit, obviously, was no different than what the Jews had experienced in Jerusalem. That's what Peter's trying to tell them. Now, this phrase that he uses when he says it in, in verse 16, when he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit, this is an expression. Now, follow me here. This is an expression that's used in seven other passages. So, again, here on this podcast, what does that tell us based on hermeneutics and context? This is a big thing. Well, where, where do we see this before? Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Mark 1, 8, Luke 3, 16, John 1, 33, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Even before this phrase that's used here in Acts chapter 11, it was used in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. So that's the connection. This was the promise of this baptism of the Holy Spirit that was going to come, that the body of Christ, people who are saved, who accept Christ, are not just going to look the same as you or I. In this case, they were not just going to be all Jewish. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to fall on people who repent of their sins and accept Christ as their Savior. And I love this because in verse 17, he says, if then God gave the same gift to me as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand God's way. Wow. I mean, think about that. If God speaks to you, my friends, who are you or who are I to say anything to run contrary to God's order? The circumcised Jews, they were forced to accept that salvation is also for the Gentiles. And how do they learn that? Because God gave Peter a vision. And they accepted that. And so God sending Peter to the Gentiles, this opens a whole new mission for the early church. Yet uh, Gentile Jew relations, though, this wasn't going to solve everything, okay? 
But what it was what it was doing was it was getting more Jews on board to say, okay, God, you're doing something far greater. Which leads us to the second thing. Now we're reintroduced to Barnabas. And Barnabas is sent to bring comfort to persecuted Christians in Antioch. And it says here in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So now there's several things that we see when we talked about Peter going before the circumcised Jews and explaining to him what God was up to. And again, convicting them and their silence. And in the end, many of them, they praise the Lord as we're told. Now a transition happens where now we see as God is spreading to reach more people with the gospel. And again, he's going to use the Jews to do it. God's going to be sending support. He's going to be sending reinforcements. Remember, Stephen's death uh, becomes the, uh, the impetus for spreading the gospel throughout the known world. Now, Antioch was a very important location. It was founded by Seleucus I around about 300 BC and became the third largest Roman city after that of Rome and Alexandria. And, and Antioch was located about 15 miles inland from the Mediterranean coastline. And it was a very popular cosmopolitan city where Greeks and Romans and Semitic people and Arabs and Persian influences all came uh, in that area and had great impact. So it's very eclectic, it's very diverse. And there would be, uh, you know, a house mostly of Christian Gentiles, you know, that would be there that would probably uh, take in Paul, you know, especially as we look later on. In chapter 13, and again, chapter 15, verse 40, and chapter 18, verse 23, and they would, they would help launch his ministry each and every time. So this is a very important area where God is going to send uh, Barnabas to, be, to, 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 to bring some encouragement. Now, the people were told here in verses 20 and also 21, the people from Cyprus and Cyrene, these were Greek-speaking Gentiles. They're mentioned in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. They're mentioned in Romans 2, verse 9, and also chapter 3, verse 9. Now, it's possible that among the men were Simeon Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, possibly. That's mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. But notice that these men, uh, when it says they were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So the region was very cultish. So they were preaching about the sovereignty. They're preaching about the power, hence the word Lord Jesus, showing the mighty power of Jesus in the midst of the cultish movement that was in Antioch. Now notice this other phrase that Luke uses, hand of the Lord. So this was an indication that God was blessing the work of men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So a lot of times when people say, you know, the hand of God, you know, it's a biblical term that we see and clearly it's one that's in Ezra 9, verse 7, Isaiah 66, verse 17. So this is very important as we look at 
the extensiveness, the extensiveness, um, uh, extensiveness that I should, should say about God moving on the hands of these individuals. See, a lot of times we just see Peter and then we just see Paul and we move on. Yet God was using other people that heard the gospel to impact uh, his, you know, for his namesake. So the report of this came to the ears of the church uh, in Jerusalem. And so what did they do? They send Barnabas. Why? Well, it's very simple because as I, we've already been introduced with Barnabas, he's a son of encouragement. So the council of Jerusalem, they send Barnabas, a trusted advisor to, to verify these activities. So now remember, God's using Peter to go to these Gentiles. They're hearing the gospel. And now we're hearing about these, these Greek speaking individuals who are preaching in the name of the Lord and they're doing it in a hostile environment. So as the Jews are dealing with other Jews, these are Christian Jews impacting, you know, Jews who don't accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Now you have Greek speaking people who are talking about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in a paganistic Greek culture. So they send Barnabas to, to find out, hey, what, what's going on here? Let's find out with these activities, just like they did in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. And so when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And, he, and what does he do? Like Barnabas always does, he exhorts these people. Remember, Barnabas came to Antioch, not for his own good, but he came to encourage these new converts in Christianity. That's important. So oftentimes we can share the gospel, we can tell people something, and then we have no, you know, uh, thought process of discipleship with this person whatsoever. You know, we, we, we're focused on sharing the gospel with them and the next steps is not necessarily there because we just move on. So yeah, praise God that you're bold to share the gospel, you know, and I'm not saying that because I've done that many times where, you know, you, you plant a seed, right? Uh, sometimes as some people say, you put a, a stone in their shoe to make them feel uncomfortable and think about what, what it is they actually believe. But the point is, you know, there's a time when you are to plant a seed, but at the same time, we as Christians are to make disciples and that is to live a life before them to invest in them. It's not just a one and done incident. And so this ministry of Barnabas, uh, it would continue over and over to continue to encourage and foster and strengthen and nurture and build people up after they've heard the gospel. You see this again, go back to Acts chapter four, verse 36 and 37. Go to Acts chapter nine, verse 27. Here in this chapter, go to chapter 13, verse 2. Go to chapter 15, verse 37. Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Strengthening up the churches. Friends, that is important. It's important to be like Peter. When, if God's spoken to you, if God has called you to do something, no one's going to stop God from doing what he's going to do. You need to do it. You need to trust him. You say, well, you know, there's opposition or what about this? What about that? You know what? If God has called you to do something, he's going to do it. And he wants to use you to advance his work. So instead of worrying about it, be honored, be humble. And also with Barnabas, it's not just preaching the gospel and bailing. See, we're told that, you know, in this case with Peter, he wasn't going to live among Cornelius and his family. But see, God will use people like Peter. And then he goes back and he has to to be tough, if you will, speak the truth and love to this audience of people who are questioning him, even his position as an officer, as an apostle. 
and he gave them the accounts. This is what God called me to do. And then there's going to be people like Barnabas where they're going to come alongside after people planted the seeds, after people have come to faith and he's going to disciple them. He's going to build them up, which leads us now to the third aspect here now in chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, where Barnabas and Saul, notice they serve together in Antioch. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. Remember that's Cilicia. That's East uh, Asia Minor. And took, that literally means actually in Greek, a thorough search for Saul. So he's looking and hunting down Saul. Because remember, Saul had bailed for a long time at this point. So he's going to go back and get Saul. And say, okay, Saul, you're ready for action. And notice when he found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That is the Greek word, Christonos. So here's a couple things as we look at this, uh, these two verses. Number one, remember after his Jerusalem visit, Saul, we're told as we're looking at this account to, to the accounts that we have late, uh, bef- you know, in Acts chapter 9 and taking Galatians chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. Paul, uh, after his visit in, in, in Jerusalem, he, what he did was he headed to Tarsus, we're told. And we're told, based again, if you go back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 19, he remained there for up to nine or 10 years. So that's why the phrase here that Luke puts that Barnabas was thoroughly searching for him. He's trying to figure out after all these years later, where is Saul? He knew that he went back home, but where exactly did he go? Now, of course, we don't have all the details. But it was quite the effort for Barnabas. You know, when we read these little verses, we just move on. But there's a lot there. And there's a lot of effort that Barnabas put into going to get Saul. Because remember, he's there to encourage the church. But really in the end, to encourage the church, he's like, I need Saul. It's time for Saul now to come out of hiding. And for him to be used by God as God is using Peter to reach the Gentiles. As the church is growing and we're having more people preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to get Saul back in the game. Now, the term Christian means to transact business. Not sure if you guys are aware of that. So that's what they're referring to Christians in Antioch, where they're transacting a business because they're, they're proselytizing. Again, in that, we hear that word today, and, and it's a, it has a bad rap. There's a bad connotation to it. But that's what they're essentially doing. They were in the business of spreading the good news to people. And it was like a, not in a business in the sense of making money off of it, like we think of prosperity doctrine today. But people knew that if they were a follower of Jesus, if they were a Christian or literally belonging to Christ, okay, um, that they were doing the work that God had called them to do. Now, this term is only used here and then it occurs in Acts 26, verse 28 and 1 Peter 4, verse 16. Now, remember, at this point, Christianity was no longer viewed and protected under the religio uh, licita, that is the legal religion. So remember, at, at, in the beginning, it was referred to or viewed as a sect under Judaism, and therefore it was protected as a religion in the Roman kingdom by the public. But no longer was that the case. Matter of fact, Expository's Bible Commentary writes, quote, In joining Barnabas at Antioch, Saul may have thought he was carrying out the mandate received at his conversion to take the message of the risen Christ to Gentiles. Most likely, however, the Antioch mission in those days was confined to the synagogue. 
so that there was little thought of the pri- uh, proprietary uh, of appealing more widely and directly uh, to Gentiles. All the earlier believers at Antioch, whether Jews or Gentiles, may well have been related in some way to the synagogue. Thus, in the eyes of many Jewish Christians, the conversion of Gentiles who had to who had to some extent come under the ministry of Judaism before they believed in Jesus would not have been thought exceptional, end quote. So you can understand just kind of this the, the, this growing concern now that the way or the, the Christians were having now on the Roman Empire as they were already having issues with Jews because the Jews were the ones that were saying from the beginning, even when Jesus was here on earth preaching and teaching. That's why they had him crucified because he was teaching things that ran contrary to what they believed and what they taught. So now notice, notice now the fourth thing, the prophet Agabus. So again, we're introduced with Peter. We're, then we're introduced with Barnabas and he goes to get Saul. And now we are introduced by, uh, to a prophet Agabus who proclaims of a coming famine in verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there we have now that introduction uh, with with Paul and Barnabas doing ministry together. Now, remember Paul, he writes in Galatians two, verse one, that after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So if this is the visit that is referred to by Paul, that would put the time frame in about 80, 47, 48. Now these prophets that came down from Jerusalem, this is the first mentioning of prophets in the book of Acts. And these prophets were people who were gifted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're gifted to foretell of coming events. These are, these are warnings that God would give them to give to the people as a sign of protection. And they are also used to bring the peace of truth to, to God's people as well. And you see that in Acts 13, verse 1, Acts 15, verse 32, Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Acts 21, 9 through 10. Now, by the way, because, and I just recently with a colleague friend of mine was asking me about spiritual gifts and we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter four. And I told him, I believe there are prophets that still exist today that are prophesying of coming events, things that happen and they don't have to be an eschatological perspective of the end times of rapture, antichrist, signing of the, the, the peace treaty, et cetera but can, that God can still use to tell us. I've had that in my own life. I've had people warn me before something were to happen. And it's God's way of protecting his people and gifting people in certain areas. So we certainly are not to um, ignore that just because some people abuse it and use it for their own vein, for their own glory, or supposedly they have the gift and they really don't. And it's just a, a piece in the ear that's telling them to say something and you think that they're all prophetic about it. That's not to undermine that there are still prophets today. So Agabus, he stood and foretold by the spirit that there would be this great family. Now remember, Luke mentions that this took place in the days of Claudius. So Agabus, he, he foretells of this famine that's going to ravish the Roman world. 
Now, the historian Josephus actually records several famines during this time period. And Agabus, remember, he would later be mentioned in Acts chapter 21, verse 10, where he would prophesy of Paul's imprisonment. And he himself even felt like, hey, don't go down this path because uh, it's not going to be any good. Now, because, and we'll talk about this down the road in chapter 21, but just because Agabus had that prophetic word does not mean that Paul disobeyed it because it was inevitable that what was ordained by God would would be that Paul would be imprisoned, that he'd be able to write many inspired letters, and eventually he would uh, be put to death. Now, remember, Claudius, he was the emperor of Rome from AD 41 through 54, so it was roughly around this time again in proximity sometime after 48 there was these famines that broke out that Josephus even records. Now notice he, in verse 30 says, and they did so sending to the elders. So now we're having this introduction to these bishops and the Greek word by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So the response to Agabus's prophecy, notice they, they, don't, they don't take it lightly. They don't ignore him. They identify that he is a prophet. So what do they do? They launch a, re, a relief fund. And so the first mention of elders in the book of Acts is right here. And what you see the elders from the deacons you saw in, in chapter six, but now you have these designated overseers and they're called to fulfill some duties for the apostles. And they're working in Jerusalem and they're residing over the local churches. That's what they're supposed to do. Peter would later, or excuse me, Paul would later go in greater detail when he gives you the markers, if you will, the standard, the qualifications of a bishop um, or Presby, uh, uh, Presbyterians would use a different term but you see that in First Timothy chapter three, verse one through seven, Titus one six through nine, and in these in this relief fund, notice it was by the hand of, of Barnabas and Saul. So in one sense, you have the hand of the Lord protecting you and moving and advancing these things. And as God's hand moves, as God gives you visions, as God raises up prophets to speak His truth, God will use your hands, my friends, and your feet to deliver goods to people whether it's financial support, whether it's a hug, it's a hot meal, whatever it is, God would use you. And notice now Saul, that it will later become Paul the apostle. He was involving himself in these efforts. And he would later mention this in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. So, so Paul made a habit to be involved in, in church affairs, in bringing support and relief to other people. That's important, my friends. And that's, it's a reminder for us that we're not just to hoard the things that God has given us, whether it's yourself, your talents, your time, or your money, but you're to use those things for the glory of God. One commentary writes, quote, the church responds in holistic liberality. Each member, as he or she is financially able, that is, from discretionary income, decides what to give and contributes to uh, it in a fund for famine relief. Their liberality is holistic in two ways. First, it extends beyond spiritual concern. We will pray that God provides for you in your affliction to practical physical aid. Hence, the collection is labeled a service. The Greek word is dakaneo, which we get the word deacon. Second, this inner church relief involves a receiving church serving the sending church. A mixed Jewish and Gentile congregation serving a Jewish assembly. So you see already the growth from what God revealed to Peter to now what's happening. 
is that you have this mixed Jewish and Gentile congregation serving a Jewish assembly. The commentary continues to say, such unity is based on the conviction that the church is a body greater than any single congregation within any culture. This unity carries with it a responsibility for the well-being of the disciples, wherever they are. So, so, so that's important, my friends, to see the impact by the hand of Paul and Barnabas that they were going out there and they were among the people and they said, okay, guys, we have word from God through a prophet of God that a famine's going to come and we need your assistance. We need to be there to help people. And so Gentile money to support the Jews and Jewish money to support the Gentiles. It's all God's. And what's happening here, you guys, is what, what God has given us is far greater, far greater than what we have tried to establish independently. And that's all because of the gospel. So there you have it, my friends. That is Acts chapter 11. And so as we reflect back, some of the challenges that I want to convey to you before we end this podcast. Number one, like Peter, are you willing to defend your faith? If God has called you to do something and there's going to be pushback, are you going to cave? Or are you going to stand your ground and give people the truth? Now, again, remember, they can... They could be people who are on your side, family members, a parent, a spouse, a Christian brother, sister in your local church, in your small group. And you're sharing with something that God has given you, maybe a vision. And they're doubting it and thinking, no, it's ridiculous. You need to be doing such and such. Well, guess what? Stand your ground like Peter did. Or like Barnabas. If God has called you to reach People who are hurting, continue to do that. Don't wait for them to ask you for help. We're definitely living in a time where even people, there's so many people who need help, they're not going to reach out because they're too embarrassed. So reach out to them. Be proactive. Make that step. Be like Barnabas. And the other thing is, if you can't do the work on your own like Barnabas did, he went on a thorough search to find Saul. And he found him. And lo and behold, we see in the end of this chapter, after all these years, when he went to Tarsus, who's using him for God's uh, efforts, for God to advance God's kingdom? Barnabas. And so we, we my friends, we, we need to give more of our time. We need to give more of our, our, our abilities and, and financial support. So if there's anything you can do uh, in your local church, in your community, in your neighborhood, as you're listening to this, if you've never prayed for our ministry, if you never given a donation, man, we would appreciate that. We would greatly appreciate any prayer support, any financial support you can give to further this message of helping Christians just like you stand strong in the word of God and to stand strong in their faith. So I pray this has been a blessing to you guys. I appreciate you guys watching and listening. And if you have any questions, you can always email me at info at standstrongministries.org. You can go to our website, standstrongministries.org. Click on donate to support this ministry. Any previous podcasts going back to the chronological order that we went through, the gospels are all available there on our website. So take advantage of that. And the books that I've written are also available on our website. So thank you guys. And until next time, 
Keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.